In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, August 1st, used to be a rather important day in the life of the church, particularly in England and some of the northern countries. Today is Lammas Day, or Loaf Mass Day. It was around this time of year that the first harvestings of wheat in the north would be gathered, and from that first of the milled wheat, loaves of bread were baked and taken to the church. It was from these loaves that the Eucharist was distributed, and it was one of the only times in Western Christianity that the faithful could take the consecrated bread home and eat it or give it to ailing or aged family members who were unable to make the trek to the parish church. So, from today until September 29th, we are in Lammas Tide. While this year we did not ask anyone to bake loaves of fresh bread from fresh uh, wheat or barley, perhaps next year we can look into reviving this old tradition. Now, I don't know if our lectionary compilers took Lammas Day into account when they were ordering this year's readings, but we have a series of readings that seem to fit in perfectly with Lammas Tide. These next few weeks, we are going to be leaving the gospel according to Mark and diving into a long chapter in the gospel according to John. The sixth chapter of John is a discourse on food, feeding, bread, body, and language about everlasting life. In these next few weeks, there is going to be a lot of back and forth between Jesus and the crowd, Jesus saying things that are difficult to understand, people not understanding what Jesus is saying, and some portions of Scripture that might make us uneasy sometimes. It is important to realize that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have an upper room scene where Jesus, during the rite of the Passover, speaks about bread broken being his body broken and the wine being his blood that is shed in the new covenant. However, John does not have such telling. Instead, John focuses on the same night is on the farewell discourses, the last words of Jesus to his disciples, the washing of the disciples' feet, the dipping of bread with Judas, who then goes out quickly to betray him. This chapter from John, chapter 6, is the Eucharistic passage, and it is crucial and critical in John's expression of, of Christ's indwelling presence with us now, at the time after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So be ready for a lot of bread imagery, a lot of feeding metaphors, and perhaps even passages that are difficult for the disciples to understand and for us still today. Jesus encounters a crowd who have come to him because of his healing of the sick. And there are several things all happening at once, but one of those is that they are finding themselves out in the middle of nowhere. Part of the reason we know this is because there is grass. 
People have not been treading on it. It could even be so remote that animals are not shepherded there. And the disciples begin to get concerned about food. And Jesus even speaks about food. And they ask the question to each other, what are these people supposed to eat? We know this part of the story rather well. Five loaves and two fish provide a meal for 5,000 people with plenty left over that 12 basketfuls of leftovers are recovered. Part of what John is pointing us to once again is the abundance that is provided by Jesus. This is part of the theme of John, a wedding that runs out of wine only then to have an abundance of good wine, food enough to fill the bellies of 5,000 people with 12, a rather important number in Judaism and Christianity, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, 12 portals into the city of the New Jerusalem. Anyways, 12 baskets signaling that there's more to be had. And it is this more, this craving for more food from the crowd that sets us on our course for our long discussion. To answer this, we need to realize that for many of these people, running down to the local market and buying bread was not a simple task. First, there was the question of supply. Next, there was the concern about the cost. And while many of these households kept flour and yeast in order to make bread in the home, you didn't pack flour for a long journey. Over and against all of this, we must remember the political realities of Rome, and that sometimes, in certain regions, the resources to make bread, the resources to eat at least one meal each day, were not always easy to come by because the occupying army might need those resources too. And they could take them, even using force, if they wished. So this miracle of abundance and plenty became a rallying cry, and the people saw that this Jesus could begin to fill all their wants and their desires if he can provide a banquet like this in a far and remote place, imagine what he could do on the throne of David in Jerusalem once the Romans were gone. But Jesus, knowing what is about to happen, withdraws, hides himself away, for the time is not ripe for his manifestation. And because this is not the kingdom which he is coming to usher in, and the confusion about what sort of Messiah, what sort of anointed king Jesus would be, begins to be asked. And Jesus understands this human flaw that works when we've met some sort of desire. We all know people who have gone to someone for meal or for aid, and they're supplied what they needed, needed, and perhaps even a little bit more. And one meal becomes two or three, and eventually there is the expectation that every Tuesday evening, the door to the house will be open for them to just come on in, and maybe this has happened to you, and sit at your table. And then when you decide that 
you're going to go out to eat, or you've taken the grandchildren to the movies, or it just really isn't convenient for them to come by today, then there's a flash of anger, and all of a sudden it's your fault that they haven't eaten. I think we all have encountered these people and maybe even know a few of them. Well, this is what the crowd is starting to act like. And they begin to turn on Jesus just a bit. Why? Well, they want more food. They want more of the good things that have been provided. But along with that comes some doubt about what Jesus will provide. What sign are you going to give us now? I mean, after all, Moses did more than this. So come on, Jesus, what's your next trick going to be so that we can believe in you? And rather than looking beyond this highly economic problem or even highly societal problem of hunger and poverty and looking for the actual coming of the kingdom of God, which is what they truly long for, they are stopped short by things temporal instead of gazing towards things eternal. Calling upon Jesus, who is the Word, to perform a miracle like Moses, who was human, is deeply ironic. It would be like asking a master painter or virtuoso on the violin to mimic something painted by a kindergartner or a beginner on their instrument. Jesus provides what Moses could never provide. And Jesus provides to us what no one else can provide. Jesus provides us with the bread of life, the bread of unending life. And what we do here when we celebrate the Eucharist, when we say that the bread and the wine are the gifts of God for the people of God, or as some churches say, holy things for holy people, we are taking and eating that which only Jesus can give, himself, his own body. But sometimes I think we turn this Eucharistic feast into a superstition, or we imagine the host to be a talisman of some sort, like a lucky charm. And that is the furthest thing from what it is in all reality. And over the next few weeks, we are going to think deeply about the Eucharist and what it is, and about why we do this with such great frequency. But if we reduce the bread of life into this insatiable desire for more food, more physical nourishment, more stuff, then we have missed the whole entire point. Jesus provides us with bread to nourish our souls, nourish our minds, nourish our very thoughts and actions. There is a phrase that is used throughout this gospel, and it is here too, near the end of our passage. The life of the world 
or life to the world. It is so potent in its simplicity. And when you begin to crack it open, it's like opening the shutters on your window as the sun is rising. It is full of meaning and possibility. Jesus gives life to this world. And our lives as Christians is sustained through this fellowship, this meeting, and this feast. Many people whom I have spoken with recently, both here in this parish and around the world, expressed a joint and unified sentiment when reflecting on the initial COVID-19 lockdown. They talked about not being able to see friends and loved ones, not being able to play their favorite sports, not being able to travel, and the list can go on and on. But one thing, one common theme with Christians that I heard throughout our conversations was their deep and passionate longing for the Eucharistic bread, for communion. And strangely enough, many people used words like hunger, appetite, and desire. Morning prayer is good, and we should all maintain the practice of saying morning and evening prayer daily in our homes. But the modern church learned during the last year and a half that missing the Eucharist leaves a gaping hole in our spiritual well-being. That is part of the reason why it is so crucial, so critical to come each week to fill our hearts with this bread of life that becomes the life of the world. One final thought. Jesus provides the ripe bread that gives life to the world. And it gives us the strength to go out into this world to do those things which are well-pleasing to God. But when we miss our spiritual meals, when we don't gather together as the church, we become unhealthy. Think of it this way. When you don't eat the proper diet, your health suffers. If you drink nothing but sodas and sugary drinks, eat a constant diet of potato chips and cookies, and are inactive, your body revolts. Your blood count is off. Your muscles shrink. And you are unable to walk, much less run a mile, or lift heavy things, or compete in some sport. But when you drink your water, eat a balanced diet, exercise and train, then you can excel and accomplish many things. The Olympics are on right now, and this is exactly what many of these athletes do. Eat and train so that they can accomplish this work of theirs. So too with us. When we skip our spiritual meal, and replace it with a whole host of other things, it weakens us. When we miss our bread and wine, and instead consume spiritual junk food, 
we begin to lose the ability to do the work of the Christian. When we set anything in place of our Sunday morning obligation to come here and eat, we miss our trading session. Yes, one bag of potato chips may not hurt much, but the allure of the world assaults us constantly and says, Sunday Eucharist, it isn't so important. Go play softball. Go spend time on the beach. Go hunting. Go to the sofa and binge watch a television series. Go back to bed because you're just too tired. And what happens is we lose our taste. We lose our appetite for things holy, for things not of this world. Just like eating too much, too much candy deadens our taste of fruits and vegetables, or drinking sour wine puts us off the truly good wine, we begin to get dull. We begin to consider this time, this meal as unimportant because we have other, much more important things to do with our time. And when we aren't careful, even those good things like family or rest or even recreation becomes something that deadens our taste for the holy. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.